ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Hospitality that prevails in this place is nothing short of what I think Jesus wants it to be. Amen. To have the privilege to hear singing like this has got to be next to going to heaven. Amen. I've already said to the Lord, now he hasn't gotten back with me on the issue, that the rapture is his best plan while I'm alive. <laughs> you agree with that, don't you? I have thoroughly enjoyed these times together. Any friend of Tom Hayes is a friend of mine. Anybody who is good to Tom Hayes, you're my friend. The best days work. Our friend who's gone home to be with the Lord by the name of Randy Kilby ever did was when he put Tom Hayes on the faculty of Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute. He loves God first, loves his family second. He loves young preachers. They swarm around him. Those students love him. He loves them. It's obvious he's in the right spot. We're proud to have him at Fruitland. I love him. Thank God for him. He's a little shallow in the word, but he's growing. <clears throat> Mercy. Mercy. What am I doing on this program? I've heard some great preaching in my life, and I've heard some great preaching in the last day and this, this day and last evening. Great, great stuff. I've heard Mike Speck and his people sing for years, never thought I'd ever be around on a program where they would be singing, but uh, boy, he has, they have sung some things that have spoken to my heart. Amen. That song last night about I, I know what it's like. Only God knows. Only God knows the burden my wife and I carry every day of our lives. That song will live for, with me for a long, long time. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. <clears throat> Some simple suggestions for anxious saints. We don't have any around here, I'm sure. I'm talking about those who came last night, and I'm talking about those who will be here Sunday. Nobody here got any anxiety at all. I'm sure that's all victory. The devil loves 
The devil loves an anxious, uptight, frustrated, wringing hands, pacing floors, raising questions like are being raised in this text. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? How are we going to educate the children? How are we going to make the mortgage payments? The devil loves saints like that. Listen to these words. And by the way, always answer every question raised in a text. Always obey every command given in a text. Always understand every word as nearly as possible in every text. You'll see all of those things in this text. No man, no person, man or woman, can serve two masters. That's an indisputable fact. You don't need a second opinion when you get it from Jesus. Jesus talking to people just like us said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Anybody ask you about your mammon today? Anybody ask you how you get along in the, getting along in the area of your mammon? What, is, what, what does it mean when he talks about mammon? Why we wouldn't know if we didn't have Schofield notes and center references <laughs> and commentaries, right? But never, never leave the text and go to other men's ideas about the text until the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you from the text. It may be the same thing that he said to G. Campbell Morgan or Brother Tom Hayes, but if you saw it first, it'll make a lasting impression upon you. You cannot serve God and materialism. You cannot serve God and gold. You cannot serve God and things. You cannot serve God and stuff. Therefore, and when you see the word therefore, you ought to see what it's there for. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Suppose a corpse could make a choice. I'm talking about a wise intelligence, an intelligent corpse. What do, you, what do you think he would choose? Hart, Schaffner, and Mark's suit? Didn't pick out the last one he wore. Per Allen Edmund's shoes? T-bone steak? Salads with all the dressings? What do you think he would choose? Life. Life. Suppose you get all of this stuff that you're anxiously trying to accumulate and don't know anything about life and life more abundant. You are indeed of all men most miserable. Listen to these words. Behold the fowls of the air for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better 
than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory at the peak of man's production, the best the hands of men can produce. That if even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these little lilies. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And after all these things do the Gentiles, or the heathens, or the atheists seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Where do you go when you get into trouble? Better yet, where do you send those who come to you for Christian counseling when trouble comes your way? You know what I've often said to people? I've often said you probably need to go to church more. Church won't hurt you. Church ought to be on your schedule. Church is in God's plan and is in God's economy and it ought to be in yours. I have no confidence in a man or a ministry that bypasses the local church. Thank God for church indescribable contributions have been made to my spiritual welfare in the church where Jesus speaks to our hearts. He speaks to us anywhere, but we've been spoken to in special ways in church. Go to church. You ought to. And then I've told those same people that you probably need to pray more. Sure you need to pray. How in this world shall we make it without prayer? Thank God for the privilege to pray. Don't ever forget what it cost God to make this privilege possible for us. There's no way to explain. God is the only one who could record what's been produced through the prayers of God's people. Sure, we must pray. And then I've told people that you probably need to become a better student of the Word of God. Sure, we should. It stirs us. It changes us. It challenges us. It cleanses us. It's an unusual book. God breathed infallible Word from God. Sure, sure it speaks to our hearts. But interestingly enough, not one of those suggestions is on the list of suggestions that Jesus gave anxious saints just like us. Would you be interested in his list? Do you have time to listen to his list? Let's notice his list. 
First of all, he said you ought to pull aside from your busy schedule and spend some quality time beholding the fowls. Too shallow for us, deep theologians, spiritually minded people. You'll never challenge me with that kind of a simple suggestion. That's what Jesus said. Behold the fowls. You can do it anywhere. You can do it anytime. You can do it while you walk. You can do it while you work. You can do it from a hospital bed or a wheelchair. You can do it anywhere. There are millions of them, eh? 18,000 plus species, millions and millions of each species. They will almost light on your head while you're walking. It's easy to do a rather simple, easy assignment for spiritual people who want to live lives beyond anxiety, frustration, and worry. Behold, the fowls. Did you know in God blessed America there are 54 million identified, documented bird watchers according to the Audubon Society? When was the last time you came to realize that bird watching is a spiritual exercise? <laughs> you know what you'll discover when you behold the fowls? Number one, they don't sow. You say, I know they do so. I've seen them pick up seed and fly across plowed ground, drop that seed in that plowed ground. After a while, up comes the stalk, then comes the blossom, then comes the fruit. Jesus says they don't sow. And if Jesus says they don't sow, I don't care what we thought we saw. They don't sow. That's a known fact. Secondly, you'll discover that they do not reap. You know why they don't reap? They don't sow. Now, wasn't that a profound statement? There was a time in my Christian experience when I entertained the idea of asking God to take away from me the ability to sow to the flesh. And then like a flash of lightning, he reminded me, if I take away your ability to sow to the flesh, I shall have also taken away your ability to sow to the Spirit. So the choice is yours. Sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. Sow to the wind, you shall of the wind reap a whirlwind. Sow to the Spirit, and you shall reap life and life everlasting. Be not deceived, Paul said to the Galatians. Be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You ever heard anybody say they're mocking God? No, they're not. You can't mock God. What they're doing is deceiving themselves. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. Sow love, you shall receive love. Sow mercy, you shall reap mercy. Sow grace, you shall reap grace. Sow kindness and generosity, and you shall reap kindness and generosity. Sow ill will and ugly spirits, and you will reap the same. They don't sow. They don't reap. Thirdly, they do not gather into barns. 
You know why they don't gather into barns? They don't have any barns. You know why they don't have any barns? They don't need any barns. You know why they don't have any, they don't need any barns? They don't have anything to go into barns. There's an element of trust so vividly portrayed in this passage of Scripture. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not build barns or gather into barns. Are you not better, are you not much better than they? Are you not much better than they? You say, oh yes, we're much better than they are. We're living souls. We're made in his own image. And you would be telling the truth, but I don't think that's the primary lesson being taught in this passage of Scripture. I want to tell you how much better than a fowl we are. They don't sow because they can't sow. They don't reap because they can't sow. They don't build barns because they can't build barns. They don't need barns. But God has given us the innate ability and creativity to go into the forest and cut down trees and dig up stumps and haul off stone and prepare the soil and select the seed. And did you know there's life in every seed? You know who put that life in that seed? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And did you know there is sustenance in all souls, more so in some than in others? Select the seed, prepare the soil, put that seed wherein there's life, in that soil wherein there is sustenance. And that sustenance will begin to appeal to the life in that seed. That seed, that life in that seed will begin to respond to the appeals of the sustenance in the soil. And after a while, it will become so invigorated until it bursts open the hull. Out comes life flowing up through soil wherein there is sustenance. Then comes the stalk. Then comes the blossom. Then comes the fruit, and then God has given us, God has given us the innate ability and creativity to pick the fruit, to preserve the fruit, to can the fruit, to build barns, and to gather into barns. If you don't work, you aren't supposed to eat. It's a matter of stewardship. God has given us the ability. God has given us the creativity. We can't, you'll never find a person who is a good steward standing in a soup line, but you'll find him and his family on the other side of the table serving the soup, preparing the soup, giving the food. God will do those things for us. You still upset? You still uptight? You still frustrated? You still anxious? You still pacing the floor? You still trying to figure out how you can make a living and how you are going to feed your family and educate your children? All right, let's leave the forest having beheld the fowls and take a little trip to the fields and consider the flowers. Now, he didn't tell us which fowl to behold, but he told us which flower to consider. Which was it? What good are they? What good is the lily? Beautiful, of course, for decorative purposes. You say, oh, but you missed that lesson in school, Brother Writings, where it gave off oxygen and helped you breathe. Yeah, but uh, when's the last time you had one? 
And then do you have a pet lily back at the house that you have to go by every morning and say, mm, oh, that I might just make it through the day. No, no. They're a rather inconspicuous, unimportant little plant Jesus uses to tell us how much he loves and cares for us. Consider the flowers. They don't toil. Now, if you think a fowl doesn't toil, you haven't watched a fowl. They work hard. Uh, but a lily doesn't even toil. You know, you know when a fowl is the fattest and the fittest in the dead of winter. You know when they're the safest when I'm hunting them. Those boys in western North Carolina taught me into going grouse hunting. I spent 22 of the best years of my whole life, at least up to now, in that one church there in Asheville, North Carolina. They said, let's go grouse hunting. I'd never heard of a grouse. It's between a, it's between a pheasant and a quail. Smart, intelligent, wise, brilliant, fast, fast, elusive kind of a bird. Climb high on the mountains, you have to find them there. I've shot where a lot of them have been, but I've never knocked out a feather. It's always past tense with me. They're gone when my bullet and my shells would get there. I was going to Fruitland some time ago, went over the bridge that crosses over 26, and lo and behold, a crushed grouse on the bridge broke my heart because it wasn't my car that crushed it. <laughs> You say, why, you cold-hearted killer, taking the life of birds and enjoying it. Well, why don't you quit eating chicken? <laughs> and by the way, if I told you what chickens ate before you ate it, them, you might not eat as many chickens as you've been eating. <laughs> they do not toil. Listen, they do not spin. They do not, they do not have the ability to shear the wool from the back of a sheep, weave it into a seamless garment, drape it over their trunks, waiting for a bad, icy, snowy winter day. No, no. But the Lord said, Solomon, Solomon at the, Solomon at the peak of man's production, visit his wardrobe, check out the silken garments, well-dressed Solomon in all of his glory, the best the world of fashion can produce with the hands of men will not hold a light. Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of God's little lilies. The wardrobe of a lily far exceeds the wardrobe of Solomon. Hey, I don't know why you're so upset. I don't know why we're so frustrated. They do not toil. They do not spin. But wait a minute, wait a minute. I overlooked a phrase. I jumped over a phrase in that same verse. But they do grow. Do you? Do you? Do you? Do I grow? Are you growing? How close to where you were born into the family of God do you still reside? Is there any evident growth in your spiritual pilgrimage? Are you any closer to Jesus and closer to the mind of Christ? Do you know any more about the power of His Spirit today than you did the day He saved you? Are you growing? 
I want to tell you who's behind this kind of idea. Leroy was a great man. Leroy ran a nursery. I'm talking about that grew real stuff. You just have to dust this. You don't have to water this. They're beautiful, beautiful. I don't blame you. It'd be hard to keep fresh flowers all the time. But Leroy ran a nursery. Good man, godly man. I was his pastor for about 15 years. You didn't have to crank him up. You didn't have to wind him up. You didn't have to get him excited. He was always excited about the things of the Lord. Anything his pastor proposed or the deacons proposed, he was for it. Never heard him oppose anything. But at 43, a brain tumor snuffed out that giant of a man, that great spirit, that committed Christian. About four months after his death, his widow, who is a good woman, his children, who are good children, she came to me that morning and said, Brother Ridings, we love you. We love your family. We love the church. We've been blessed of God here for so long, but we won't be back after this service. Shocked, surprised, or mild terms, the way I felt. I said, would you mind telling me why you will not be back? You know what she said? She said, oh, the emotion, the feelings of emotion that comes over us when we come back into that place where we had his funeral. I sympathize with that. We all hurt. But here, let me tell you who's behind that kind of thinking. For you see, they kept on running the same nursery, and the family still does. And they kept on living in the same house and some of the family still does. They even drove the same car for a long time. Don't you see? The only thing that was under attack was their primary source of spiritual sustenance. You know how the devil didn't want you to come tonight? You know how the devil doesn't want you to come on Sunday night? You know how the devil doesn't want you to be here on Wednesday night? You know how the devil doesn't want you to have a personal devotional time and to study the Word of God? You know why the devil does not want you to pray? These are primary sources. You know why the devil doesn't want you in Sunday school and in this choir? You know why he's constantly telling you why you don't have the time to rehearse and you really can't come to all of these functions here at this church? He knows those are the primary sources of our spiritual sustenance. Hey, they don't toil, they don't spin, but they do grow. You say, how do they grow? Stay where they've been planted. I never have seen a wise lily with its roots ripped up out of the soil running through the meadows looking for a richer plot of ground wherein it might plant its roots. I've seen a lot of Baptists with letters Stay where God puts you. You believe God plants plants where plants can grow? Well, you believe God plants people where people can grow? Sure he does. It's a matter of knowing his mind and knowing his will and being sensitive to his spirit and obedient to his word. Go where God sends you. Stay where God puts you. Are you not much better than a fowl. You think God will take care of fowls and forget family? You think God will take care of creatures and forget children? 
You think God will take care of flowers and forget family? Never, ever has he. Will he? He does not thank God for those simple suggestions. I can understand stuff like this. Behold the fowls. Consider the flowers. Thirdly, remember the Father. Twice in this text, verse 26, verse 32, there is a little phrase. Your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. Let's first of all notice who He is. Father speaks of family, speaks of a birth, speaks of a relationship. I remember the day Jesus saved me. I joined the church when I was 13, didn't change a thing. I got saved when I was 17, my last week in high school. My wonderful wife of 51 years coming up November the 7th. I know you're grasping for breath. You can't believe a guy can look as good as I do and be married that long. But we have. She led me to Jesus before we married, 17 years old, led me to Jesus. By the way, I got saved in a church service on the second week of a protracted meeting, second Monday. When's the last time you heard tell of anybody having a second Monday in a protracted meeting? Oh, I know, God can do it in a second. You don't have to, he doesn't have to have a week. But I know what happened that night. Three things took place. Doesn't take a long time for me to tell about it. Fid was in that building. Fid. I don't know how you spell Fid. They just that was his name. You ever heard anybody call Fid? That was his name. Fid. I won't call his last name. Might be somebody who knows him or knew him. He was a veteran of war. He lost a leg. Fid sat on my left. Twelve men down at the altar. I was the youngest of the twelve who made professions of faith that night. There was a real move of God in upstate South Carolina in those mill villages back in the 50s and the late 40s. I hated Fid. Every teenager in that, va- in that valley hated Fid. Fid was mean to teenagers. I appreciated his service in the army, but I didn't like him. That's a mild term. Nobody liked him that was a teenager. But for some reason, the first eyes I caught when I stood were the eyes of Fid. And all of a sudden, there was a warmth and a genuine love I never had before. Then I started checking, Brother Tom. I checked my little record I had, and I couldn't think of anybody I hated. First sign I got saved, love took the place of hate. Second thing, that afternoon I didn't want to go to church. I didn't plan to go to church. We'd gotten back from the senior trip, Washington, New York. I'd gone by Balling Springs High School there in Spartanburg County to see my sweetheart. And I told her I'd like for us to get together. And she said, if you get together with me, it'll be at church. Hey, I was already under conviction. I told you she had led me to this point, to Jesus. I didn't want to go to church. But if you've ever known her, you knew I was a wise boy. You know I'm a wise boy to go with her. She's the best thing ever happened to me. She led me to Jesus. You say, Jesus. Well, she led me to Jesus. Sweetest person I've ever known in my life. You say, you want to brag on your wife a little? I sure do. You don't mind, do you? I love her. Thank God for her. I'm a one-woman man. She's a one-man woman, I think, and I'm convinced of that. (laughs) 
Hey, what I, you, would you just let me get a little sidelined here just a minute? I'm running along fast as I can. You know, let me just tell you. I, 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 I've lived about 12 years in motels. I hate motels. They're nice. You put us up in a nice place. I still want to pay for my room. It's a nice place. But listen, only because of the grace of God. She hasn't been able to go with me every time but only because of the grace of God. My wife could have knocked on the door of any motel room in this country unannounced and never caught her husband in an embarrassing situation, watching stuff on TV or fooling around with stupid stuff. Not once. You say you're bragging? Yes, but not on me, on Jesus. I'd rather you read my obituary column than to ever hear about Amen. stuff like that. Everybody can fall. A lot of people do fall, but nobody has to. Because 1 Corinthians 10 said, God is faithful. Not you, not your church, not your parents, but God is faithful to get you out of that mess if you'll keep your eyes open and look for the way out. Well, that's a sideline. I don't know why that came up, but I know one thing, I know who the Father is. Speaks of a relationship, heavenly, heavenly. That's who he is. If I ever see David Moore, I hear him on the radio. I'm going to be disappointed if he's one of these macho, muscled up fellows. He sounds like a wimp. You ever heard David Moore on the radio? I don't even know where he's from. I don't know what he is. I just like some of the stuff he says. He was preaching. One time he said, let me give you his address. His address. Heavenly. Seven, 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 heaven, he said. And if you're interested, it's a gated community. <laughs> that gets our attention in our society, doesn't it? Heavenly. You know who he is? Heavenly Father. He has a family in two places. One family located in two places. Some in heaven, some on earth. But he's father of all. He owns the property on both sides of the river. He doesn't have but one family. We talk about living in mansions when we get to heaven. I don't know what's over there. I'm looking forward to getting there. But I tell you where, if you come looking for me, I'll tell you where you're going to find me in the Father's house. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I will dwell, the psalmist said, in the house of the Lord. He doesn't have but one house. He doesn't have but one family. We're not divided. We're together. We're just on missions in different places. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father. Hey, how many of you know what a personal possessive pronoun is? I didn't know this till Brother Thad Tavel taught me. He's our academic dean who is a brain. I mean brilliant. He remembers stuff that you don't need to remember. He remembers stuff that he'll never need in this life. I tell him often, I said, Dad, that's another one of those things you won't ever need. He's got sharp. Yes, Brother Tom, he's one of the sharpest men I've ever met. Got his THD degree in preaching from New Orleans Seminary. You don't get that in the mail. That didn't come from Sears and Roebuck. That's high dollar stuff in the academic world. I respect him, one of the best men I've ever worked with in my life. 
I never met a man. Just a wonderful thing. I lean on him. You say, why? I lean on all that crowd. That, 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 that little school's got a great staff and a great faculty. And I love them and I listen to them. And I depend on them. But uh, listen, Brother Thad told me what this word is. Your, not theirs, not hers, not his. It's a personal possessive pronoun. It's the same thing as the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I think he is Anne's shepherd. She looks like it, acts like it. I believe she is his sheep. I believe that, but I don't know. I'm the only one I know is saved. That's not egotism. That, that's, hey, take it right. You don't know whether I'm saved. You don't even know whether your wife's saved. You don't even know that your children are saved. You're the only one. It's a personal matter. I mean, that's the only one. The only one who knows that they're really saved is you. Your, hallelujah, your personal. It's a personal, possessive pronoun. Your, it's a lot different than say, their heavenly father or his Heavenly Father, or her Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father feedeth them. Hey, it's a wonderful thing. Let's go to that second little note. Note who he is, but also note what he does in this text. You might need your Bible if you're going to really remember some things that Jesus is. And what he does. You know what he does? He feeds. He feeds everything that needs to be fed. He feeds the fowls of the air. He feeds the spirit. He feeds the soul. He feeds the mind. He feeds the body. He feeds animalistic life. He feeds vegetation. He feeds everything that needs to be fed. He is the only feeder there is. He not only feeds, he clothes. The grass of the field, still in the text. The grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? He clothes. He clothes the soul, the spirit, the mind, the body. He clothes the animalistic life family. He clothes the vegetation family. He clothes everything that needs to be clothed. He feeds. He clothes. He knows. He knows what you have need of even before you ask him. That's in this text. He's the only know-it-all I've ever known. I think I've met a few self-acclaimed know-it-alls, but he's the only know-it-all. He knows how you feel. You say you're not a very warm-hearted pastor. No, 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 I've never been ashamed of my pastoral ministry. I'm ashamed of my preaching ministry, but not my pastoral ministry. Go back and ask those five churches I've tried to pastor. I've been there. I've been there every, every other week. has been falling my lot to go somewhere, but they've always understood, and thank God it's been a wonderful privilege to be related to some great people. Well, I, I, I know, I know. You know, sometimes when you accuse us of not having feelings, you think we don't have any problems. I'm telling you. Brother Tom knows a little bit about some of the troubles. We have a daughter... 44 years old, never married, lost two children by miscarriage, 
All of our parents are in another world. I know how it feels. I just ask you to pray for a daughter. Bipolar, brilliant. Honor roll graduate from Mars Hill College. She was the coordinator of the heart catheterization lab in that large medical center there in Asheville for years, made a lot of money, had a lot of good benefits. Can't hold a job today. Also a licensed realtor, which is not an easy test to pass. She's doing the best she's done in years. I don't know what caused all of that. And I'm not trying to throw any blame anywhere, but I want to tell you something. A 16-year-old boy molested that little 7-year-old girl. And I think that had a lot to do with it. You got anything? You got any spare time in your prayer life? Put us on your list. We hurt. Nobody asked. You don't have to. I don't even think about it. When somebody says, you got any, any prayer requests? One major, up front, primary, always on my mind. Pillow my head every night with it on my mind. Wake up with it every morning with it on my mind. You don't know. Don't, don't, please, let me say this kindly. Don't give me any more books to read. Don't, don't ask for her telephone number. I don't tell her I tell these things. She's getting a lot of help. She's doing a lot better. She's made a lot of unwise decisions herself, which go along with that kind of stuff, if you know anything about it. i tell you what I'd rather do. If it could heal Beverly, I'd be willing to die right now. Right now, right now. Lord, just stop my heart beating right now if it would mean healing Beverly. Hey, don't, don't say I'm not a compassionate preacher. I am. I, I have to work at it sometimes with some people, and you do too. Hey, I didn't mean to go that far, but I tell you, I feel like I'm among family. You know, when I, when I walked in here last night, I felt like I was a family. I, I, I don't remember the time that I felt like that when I walked in a building. I, I have even talked to Tom about moving this conference to Fruitland. Don't ever think about it, Tom. So number one, we couldn't take care of you. But don't ever think about it. Don't ever think about it. We may have a little one over there. I want to talk to you about a mini conference. M-I-N-I. God help us to realize there's a, there are a lot of hurting people, Brother Ken, everywhere. That's happening. I know, I know. I know. He knows. He knows how I feel. I'd driven up in the morning. I must have confessed my fleshliness, my worldliness. I'd been to a football game on Saturday night. Clemson, by the way, and I must remind you they tore Tennessee up in the Peach Bowl. I hate to bring that up tonight, but they did. They didn't beat them. They whooped them. But I, I'd, uh, my brother, my oldest brother and I go, I was driving into Whiteville, North Carolina, which is down near Wilmington, got in the bed about 2.30. Never will forget this. This was about three weeks ago. I had Beverly on my mind most of the way down. And when I walked in the room that late night, knew it, knowing I had to get up this morning about 9 o'clock, 
I don't know what it was. His presence. His manifested presence. It was like a dark room. Someone had turned on a fluorescent light. And I stood there by the bed before I laid down. And I said, oh God, you knew what I needed. And the reality of your presence is already being felt in a healing manner. Me standing here. Oh, he cares. He knows. He feeds. He clothes. He knows. He adds. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, I never have known God to subtract anything from me that meant anything. Nothing. And I haven't often felt God multiplying much in my life, but I catch him adding something all the time. Adding a little morsel of bread here, a little grace here, a little insight here, a little power here, a little understanding here. All along life's journey, just a little drop of additions in my spiritual life all the time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he cares. He cares. That last verse says, he cares. He knows where you are. He knows about your today. He knows about your tomorrow. Have you ever said, I dread tomorrow? Why? Why waste your dread on something as uncertain as tomorrow? It might not get here. Why worry about something as uncertain as tomorrow? Man, you just wasted your worry if it doesn't come. Hey. He knows what tomorrow holds. He cares for us. You know, you know why I knew Y2K, and I don't know. I, I was told how long to be here, but I, I'm trying. I'm doing pretty good for me. But uh, you know why I knew Y2K was nothing but a farce and a hype? In the first place, if God can't make a two out of a one and... and uh, Three zeros out of three nines, we're serving the wrong God. By the way, if you ever meet the man who invented the computer, shoot him in my name. And that's great for Tom and all these boys who really depend on this, but I'm, I'm really lost in that area. But You know why you say, how in the world were you so smart that you knew it was just a hype and a farce? In January of 2000, the most students who have ever enrolled to study for the ministry at Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute enrolled in January year 2000. Who's behind calling fellows into the ministry? I was not a volunteer. It was not my idea. I've been drafted. And every man better know something about that kind of a call, I think. You still upset and frustrated and tight? These deep thoughts that I've given to you tonight will help get you out of that mess. Behold the fowls. Consider the flowers. And always remember the Father. Let's pray. Father, you amaze me. I'm always surprised that when you do it again, for someone who deserves so little. Lord, I, I, was, I was surprised and shocked at the first invitation I ever got to preach anywhere. 
I am just as shocked and surprised at the last invitation I received. It's all. The Just Good Preaching Podcast is an Unseen Hand Media production. This podcast is on all the most popular podcasting apps, so be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to stop over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that others can find these messages. For more information about the Just Good Preaching podcast and many other podcasts, go to RonnieBrown.net forward slash unseen. That is RonnieBrown.net forward slash unseen. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>